Hello and welcome to the Apprentice Track podcast. The Apprentice Track is a year-long commitment for those who want to continue to learn what it means to be with Jesus, become like him and do the things he did. We do this by committing to daily, weekly and monthly practices that centre our lives around him. This podcast will feature both teachings from our monthly gatherings and different conversations that dig deeper into understanding what it really means to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. This first episode is recording from our opening session as Rich Atkinson looks at the importance of beginning this whole journey with a clear sense of our identity as children of God. joy to be with you. Um, like Bishop Paul said, I'm married to Lizzie. We've got three kids. Beatrice is five um, and has just the most remarkable face. She teaches me most things I need to know about God. Um, just hang out with her and uh, she shows me and usually corrects me. Um, she's always the first to pray for healing in our house when I'm reaching for the power of all. Beatrice is always ready to lay on hands. So, you know, you want prayer for healing, get into our house. And uh, Ezekiel, who's three, and um, Judah, who's one. It's just great fun and um, we love it. It's, it's been a roller coaster as God's called us here completely unexpectedly to Nottingham. It wasn't on our radar at all. And uh, I blame Bishop Paul partly for that and the Lord largely. Um, <laughs> but, um, but genuinely, I'm really expecting for all that God's doing it all across uh, this diocese. You know, just listening to Bishop Paul share a bit of his heart and passion for what God's doing in this diocese. It's remarkable. And then as we were worshipping, I don't know about you, I had this sort of moment where I was like, God's starting something here. Mm. You know, some, something's happening here. And there's a, there's this room full of people is so packed with potential for what the Lord might just do. And I don't know, I'm just really expectant. Really, really expectant to, you know, sit here in a year's time and go, whoa, what has the Lord done? What has the Lord done? And, um, you know, I mean that with no pressure on you. You know, we just we just get to go on a roller coaster ride with God, don't we? And um, you know, some of you might be like, "Why did I sign up for this thing? I don't even know what it is." Really, Duncan pressurised me or something. <laughs> <laughs> Nervous laughter from a few people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, you, you know, I, I think that word from joy was really key. Actually, there's that sense. I I got that real sense like God has the right people here. You 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 are the right people in the room. And he wants to take you on a journey which is going to do something in you as well as uh, impact this diocese and, uh, and impact the many, many people around us. And, um, and that's so important, isn't it? You know, it's so important. I keep saying to myself, you know, we're not here to build a church. We're here to pray for revival. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm constantly just, come on, that's it. I'm not here to build a church. I'm here to pray for revival and see what God might do. Um, tonight we're going to talk a bit about uh, identity as a kind of kicker off for where we're going and, um, and for what God has for you. A few years ago, I, um, I was at a, a, a conference and um, I, I used to lead worship a little bit. And, uh, you know, because I could play three chords on the guitar and sing vaguely and people would let me lead worship. And I was once leading worship at a conference, which for me was like, wow, you know, I sort of made it. And uh, I was really pleased with myself because I was doing this worship stuff. And, uh, you know, did that kind of thing. And then one time I was at this burger stand and this guy came up behind me and he said, uh, he, he tapped me on the shoulder and went, oh, 
oh, it's you. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, it's me. <laughs> and they said, can I have your autograph? And I thought, wow, I've made it. You know, I'm a Christian celebrity. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I took his, you know, bit of paper and, you know, fiddled around for a pen and was just about to sign it. And then he looked a bit closer and went, you, you are Matt Redman, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh no, sorry. <laughs> you know, identity, that's my loose link in to talk about. <laughs> identity is a really important thing. And actually, I, I think our society is asking that question right now. Who am I? Who am I? You know, you don't have to dig terribly hard on, um, on social media to find someone who's talking about doing something that is being true to themselves, right? You know, I'm doing this because I'm it's being true to myself, and everyone will definitely celebrate that. Wow, well done, you know, crack on, you're being true to yourself. But what on earth do they mean by that? What do we mean by that? What does it mean to find who we are? What defines us? How does that, how does that process even happen? And... Um, and I think it, 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 we are under pressure to know who we are. And our society has a certain way in which identity is formed and created in and around us. And we swim within our society. We swim within the culture that we're in. And so very naturally, we start to take on some elements of that, even as Christians. Well, we want to just be influenced by what the Lord would say. But actually, we're in, we're in our culture. And by some nature, we're kind of products of our culture, as well as everyone else who's around us. And you see, I think the way in which identity is formed um, in our culture, or, or that idea of sort of finding within ourselves who we are, I mean, that feels like the journey a lot of people are on. It's like, I've got to sort of somehow look inside myself and find the sort of core person that is me, and then somehow kind of let that out into the world, and then I'll be fulfilled and happy and, and purposeful. And all of us can feel like that. But the way in which I, I kind of see that working is that um, it, it sort of all builds to start with around success. You know, being good at something, finding your purpose or, or, or the sort of true way in which you function and do stuff, the thing that brings you life, the thing that you're good at. You know, I, I read a thing on um, uh, Instagram the other day, so I'm trying to get better at Instagram. You know, apparently I'm rubbish at it, according to my team. I'm too old, but um, I'm trying to get better at it, and so I've been looking at it and uh, getting on there, but I saw this thing the other day on Instagram that I it just felt like you could have seen a million times, and it was, um, it was that sort of inspirational quote, you know, if you haven't found the thing that you're best at in the world, just keep looking, because you definitely will find it. I was thinking that, that sort of is like the kind of, sort of soundtrack of our age. It's like you, you are really special, you've got to find the thing that you are best at, because you're definitely going to be the best at something. And, and then you sort of produce that into the world, and oh, you've arrived, you know who you are. It's like this like, defining factor of who we are, actually it's built around being successful at something, achieving something. And you know, you, you see that in, um, uh, in work, in business, in all sorts of situations. You see it in church, you see it in social circles, as everyone sort of gets together and tries to work out, well, how do I fit in this? You know, I, and one of the words when we're... Um, just praying and prophesying together was about um, not comparing ourselves. And, and part of that is because in the culture we're in, that is prevalent everywhere. Everyone walks into the room, one of the first things they do is compare themselves to everybody else in it and try and work out where they fit with it. 
And it's even tempting for us to do that. I don't know if that was a temptation for you as you came in tonight, or even during worship, you're like, oh wow, gosh, they seem really holy, you know, arms flailing around all over the place, I better go and put out my game. You know, so I've got to sort of find my place, my place in this pecking order. I've got to somehow be successful. Because the lie that our world says is, if you're successful, that gives you a sort of sense of authority. You know, it gives you a position in the world. It gives you a, a social standing. It gives you a place. You know, and you see that, obviously, in the workplace. You know, if you're successful at something, you get given a position, or you get given a sort of place within um, uh, your friendship group, even. You know, where you sort of start to develop that sense of authority or position. And, um, and out of that sense of authority, you get a sense of security. You know, again, that's really obvious when you think about the kind of job ideas. If you're good at something, you get a position, you go up the rank, and that gives you a sense of security. You get paid a little bit more, you get provided for in a different way. But it's also true just in the way in which we interact with other people often. You know, we think, well, we can sort of be successful and interact really well and keep our friends and look after that relationship. Somehow that gives us a sort of position within this friendship circle. Actually, that gives us this sense of, I feel safe and secure. People like me. I feel loved. People know what I'm sort of all about and what I'm good at. People turn to me when they're in trouble because they know I've got a listening ear. You know, you get that sense of security, but actually it's all built on success. And out of that gives you this sense of identity. Out of that flows your sense of identity. And, um, you know, it sort of flows in this way. If you're successful, you get authority. If you get authority, you start to build security. If you get security, it finally gives you that sense of identity. And, you know, in some ways, we kind of know this is true. You know, as you go around, even tonight, there's someone you didn't meet. What are the first questions you ask someone? You say, to find out something about them, you say, what's your name, usually? And then when you say, what do you do? So our whole society is kind of built on that. It's like, if you're trying to find out someone's identity, find the stuff they do. Find the things that they do well. Find out how this kind of works. Find their position in the world. Find where they find their sense of security. Out of that, you might just uncover who they are. Now, the thing with this is, I think it's under... Um, it's under pressure, and we're under pressure to start functioning this way, even in a Christian community. You know, it's like, actually, if we can be successful Christian, you can say your prayers right, you can read the Bible, you can be the most holy person, you can be the most crazy in worship, or bring the best sense of prophetic words. It gives you a kind of standing in the church and in that community. If you do that, it gives you a sense of security. Ah, oh, I feel, you know, I've got my position, and people are going to look after me, I feel safe with it. And out of that, your identity is super Christian. Here I am, I'm, I've made it, and I'm doing really, really well. Now, I think um, you can see that this is uh, not just a new phenomenon of how identity is formed or how identity is kind of questioned. As you look at um, the temptations of Jesus, I always thought the temptations of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 were really, really weird. They're really weird. Do you not think it's a really weird bit of the Bible? You know, Jesus just be baptised, the Spirit sends him out into the wilderness... And then the enemy comes, or the tempter comes, and gives him these challenges. And I think they're really, really strange challenges. If you've got a Bible, flip it to Matthew chapter 4. And, uh, and I'll read it out. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for, uh, for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
I've often thought that's the most pointless part of the Bible. <laughs> I mean, we get it, right? Uh, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It's a weird challenge, isn't it? If you ever stop and think, what a bizarre challenge to give Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, who turns water into wine. Jesus, who can calm a raging storm. And the tempter comes to him and says... Turn these stones to become red. I mean, what does the tempter think is going to happen? Does it, the enemy think Jesus is going to go, oh no, flipping it, stones to bread. I mean, I can't do it. How embarrassing. He's found my kid is here. I mean, I can do all the others, but I can't possibly make stone become red. Right? What a weird challenge to give Jesus. And then the other really weird thing about this is Jesus' response. Because... If you were Jesus in this situation, you're the son of God, you flung stars into space, someone comes along and whips out a challenge for you and says, turn these stones to come bread. Now, if it's me, what, what would you do? I'd be like, all right then. <laughs> There's some bread. Have some of that. I mean, would you not? Maybe you'd be like, you know, I'll make a croissant if you want. Forget <laughs> what kind of, you know, I can make a plated loaf. I've been watching too much bacon. Um, you know, but you would. You'd say, right, come on then. I'll, I'll, I'll rise to this challenge and I'll show you. I'll prove to you right here, right now, I am the Son of God. Because I can make this thing happen. But Jesus doesn't do that. You see, I think what Jesus is doing is he's refusing to build his identity out of the security of having the bread that should rightfully be able to be hit. The security that should come with being the son of God, doesn't lead to his identity. He's refusing to kind of play that game. And so Jesus says this, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus is obviously quoting scripture there. But I think it's also really, really interesting to stop and pause for a minute on the very word that has just come from the mouth of God for Jesus. Jesus was just baptised, right? And as Jesus is baptised, I mean, you guys will know this story really well, just at the end of Matthew chapter 3. You know, the heavens are torn apart. The Holy Spirit comes and descends on Jesus in the form of a dove. And, um, and then a voice from heaven says this, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So what's the very word of God that Jesus is maybe talking about in this moment? Jesus' identity isn't formed by having the security of having bread. He knows it. His identity is formed from the very word that flows from his father. This is my son. This is my child whom I love. Him I am well pleased. And so at the very core of Jesus' sense of identity is he's a child. He's a child of God. He is loved. And God is well pleased with him. Now just remember here for a second. Jesus has done almost nothing at this point. When God speaks those words, I know you all know this, but Jesus has done nothing to kind of deserve that or earn that from the Father. He's just been himself. The identity that is formed in Jesus is formed by the very word that comes from the Father. He is the Son of God because he's the Son of God because he's the Son of God. He is created by God as the child of God. He doesn't need to earn it or work for it or prove it. He just knows it. He has it in the very depth of his being. 
flows from the word that comes from the Father, but also that he is deeply loved. And then finally it says, um, God the Father says of him, I am well pleased. Now I, I think this is a sort of slightly weird ring or callback to Genesis chapter 1. And I, I think you can kind of see this through this baptism narrative. You know, I mean, you guys know the story in Genesis chapter 1, as God creates, you know, he creates, and then he looks back and then he says it's good, right? And he goes to all the different things, you know, he creates the seas and steps back and says it's good. He creates the animals and then steps back and says, yeah, that's good. And then finally, humanity comes on the sea. And God creates Adam and Eve, God creates man and woman, and then steps back and it's only at that point he says, and now it's very good, right? It's almost like God could also step back and said, I'm well pleased. This is very good. And then centuries, millennia later, God finally can look upon humanity again and say, wow, it's very good. I'm well pleased with you. And actually the very form of the identity of Jesus is this sense that God speaks over him the way it was always meant to be. This deep, close, walk relationship with God, that sort of child nature, just like Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden, where they walked with God in the cool of the day, where they had this depth and closeness of relationship with God, where they knew deeply from the very core of their beings they were loved by God, and, they, and, and God could look at them and look at humanity and say, wow, it's very good. And they knew that before they'd done anything. The identity that Jesus is almost like recapturing the identity of humanity as it was always meant to be. And obviously the identity that God would have for you and have for me is the same. You know, we're children. We're his children, loved by him. Before we've done anything, before we've achieved anything. And he longs for you to know, not just because you're told and you've read it in the scriptures, but know in the very depths of your heart, the very core of your being, that you don't have to earn your identity. You don't have to prove your identity. You don't have to do anything to gain that sense of identity. The, the Father freely says it over you. You're my child. You're my love. With you I am well pleased. That stuff's really, really important, I think. Because if we try and live our identity this way around, we try and live out of a sense of success or authority leading to security that kind of creates our sense of identity. The problem with that is it's like a stack of cards, a tower of cards that can just, with one little wobble, it can all fall apart. Now, if you doubt whether that's true, if you think about someone who's been through some total disaster situation in their life, where so everything's gone horrifically wrong. Like some people come out of that amazingly. Other people, they say things like, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't, I don't know who I am. You know, if you think about the person who's passionate about work and plows everything into that, and then some disastrous illness strikes, they suddenly can't work anymore, and they're left going, I, 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 I don't know what I'm here for anymore, or who I am. I've lost that very core of who I am because they're building their identity out of what they do. Their success, their authority, their security is building their sense of identity. And I myself have been through one of these situations in my own life. I can genuinely speak it from my story. Now, a few years ago, I was a, a youth worker in a church in Sheffield. 
St. Thomas's, Philadelphia, some of you are. And, um, and I, I was loving it. I, I, it was going great. And to be honest, people were saying all sorts of nice things about me and all sorts of lovely things about the stuff we were leading. And God was showing up, things were happening, young people were coming to bed, all sorts of things were happening. And it was amazing. And, uh, and I was married, and um, uh, you know, people used to say lots and lots of lovely things about me and my wife, and we were a sort of, you know, key young couple in the church, and people thought we were just wise and sent them to us for advice and all of that kind of stuff, and I had this real sense of, you know, identity from all this stuff. And to be really honest, I, I started pouring my entire life into it, and working and working and working myself just crazy for the, the vision, and I all felt really well-intentioned. But if I'm honest, a lot of my identity was built into the fact that I was a youth worker in the church, in, in what everybody in the church thought of me. In fact, even what my leaders thought of me and said about me, it all became really what built my sense of identity. And I'll never forget it, one night, I've been with my team and uh, we've been kind of working really, really hard and going after vision and getting all excited about the next phase of all God was calling the youth ministry to at the time. And, uh, and I came back out of that evening really excited for all God was going to do and, uh, and got home to my wife. And to cut a really long story, just really incredibly short because I didn't have loads of time, I found out that evening that my wife had been having an affair. And she'd been having an affair for a really long time, like two years. And um, my whole world fell apart. You know, she'd left and she'd moved to another city and went off with this other guy. She'd fallen away from God. I, um, I was left in, in this church, unable to do my job. I was a complete mess. I was absolutely gutted and broken and hurting. I remember even showing up to work and um, having panic, panic, panic attacks at work. Unable to sit in a meeting for an entire meeting because I'd freak out and have to go and hide in my office. I was completely all over the place. And my church uh, leader being amazing man that he was, he sent me off for six weeks to go and attempt to go and talk to the Lord and do something that might just help me work myself out and sort myself out. You see, I was in this place. Everything had fallen apart. My success had gone, my position. Like, to be honest, I really didn't know if I was ever going to be able to work in the church ever again. I just thought, this might be me. It might be all over. My security was gone. I didn't know where I was going to have a job because I couldn't do my job. And I was left thinking, I literally, when all this is gone, I don't know who I am. Who am I? Who am I? So I went off and had some time out with God. And God very gently started to um, meet me. Meet me in the very bottom. Meet me when actually I wasn't trying to impress anybody or get it right or tick everybody else's boxes. Well, actually, I just, it was the raw me left with my Father in heaven to say, God, only you can actually give me anything out of this. Mm. Only you can show me who I am, which is the loved child of God, whether I'd never gone back to ministry ever again in my whole life, whether I'd ever get to get married again, have kids, all these things I was grieving and figuring that actually made me wouldn't be part of my life. By God's grace, I mean, God's amazing redemption. Mm. A great thing, just in case anybody is going through some sort of big suffering struggle, or you do this year. God is really remarkable at being, bringing redemption when you throw yourself on it. Yeah. But the thing is, 
in the midst of the struggle, what was most important to me was just simply refinding myself in the simple story of God, which is that I'm his child, that he loved me, and even when my life was a total mess, he said over me, I'm very pleased with you. And to be honest, I found that shocking because I sort of felt like I had to kind of get something right or do some ministry or, or see some lives changed or get my prayer life living in order or read my Bible six times a day in order that God would say, well done today. But that's not what God's asking of you. And when we start talking about spiritual disciplines and we start talking about, you know, we want to respond to all that God's doing and we want to, we want to kind of sharpen ourselves up. We want to be on this SAS team uh, Commando training, that was it, wasn't it? You know, and I, all that stuff just breeds excitement in my heart because I know what God can do when we allow him to do that to us. But it has to be out of response of this simple truth. You're a child of God. Even if you totally fail, even if you don't get your prayer life sorted at all this year, if you fail to read the Bible and you can't get in the Psalms and you just can't get your head into this stuff, even if sin takes over your life in a dramatic fashion and everything goes horribly wrong, and every bit of ministry you have a go at falls apart, and you know, your church is like, why on earth did I take you into my church? <laughs> you are a child of God. <laughs> and he loves you deeply. And he's well pleased with you. Mm. That core truth will not change and cannot change. Mm. Let me just go back into that story of Jesus, because I rushed forward in my notes as a... I'm wanting to do, you know, but as, um, as that core moment where the enemy is tempting Jesus about his security, whether we can turn a stone into bread, the, the challenges carry on being strange, don't they? The second challenge that the enemy gives to Jesus is throw yourself down from this high place, take someone to the temple, says, why don't you throw yourself down from this high place? And it's written in the scriptures that the angels will come and catch you. And, um, and you know, it's true, really. The enemy is like using these half-truths on Jesus. I mean, if, if you're, you have to be really attentive to the lies. I mean, someone said, again, a prophetic word about the lies that the enemy might just throw at you. I can promise you the enemy will throw little lies at you all year. The last thing he'll want you to do is go after this adventure with God. <coughs> and he'll try and throw these little lies at you. But they're often sort of half-truths, which is why they kind of hit home. It's why they're so tempting. You see, this again is true. I mean, Jesus could have, could have called legions of angels. Jesus had that authority, right? He was in that place of position. He could have just said, yeah, I'm going to totally do that. I'm going to prove to you. But he wouldn't do it because he knows his identity is not formed that way. He knew it was dangerous to get into that journey. And then the final temptation of Jesus, I think was almost certainly the biggest temptation for him. You know, as he... Um, you guys know the story. The enemy takes him, shows him all the kingdoms of the earth and says, all these can be yours if you just bow down and worship me. I mean, it must have hit upon the very core of temptation to drive after his own success. I mean, that was what he came for, right? Every kingdom of the earth. I mean, it says at the very end in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, as Jesus says of himself. That's what he came for. It's like the enemy puts it right there and says, I know I know what being successful is for you. Here it is. You just have to slightly bend the walls. You just have to slightly do it a different way. And thank goodness Jesus doesn't, right? 
So he won't, he won't allow success as the Son of God to create his identity as the Son of God. He'll allow his identity as the Son of God to produce fruitfulness in his life. And that's what we're looking for you guys for this year. It's that your identity as a child of God, as deeply loved, gives you this deep sense of security in him. Because that gives us a great sense of security, right? That means you're safe to chase after all the things that God might have for you, knowing that if it goes awfully wrong and everybody thinks you're an idiot and you shouldn't have gone after that thing, that doesn't matter because your core identity is so safe and secure in him. And even more than that, he's your loving father. He's your loving father. He'll give you great things. He'll look after you. He will keep you safe. Whatever you face this year, whatever troubles or challenges or hardships you face, if he's your good father, if you know that to the depth of your heart, not just in your head, actually your security is really strong. And out of that, you have a tremendous authority. You have a tremendous authority. If you're a child of God, you're always an heir with Christ. I mean, that's pretty scriptural, right? You carry huge authority. God can do remarkable things through you this year. Now, I believe it. I really believe it. I mean, God even uses me. You know, Bishop Paul said those things about things that have been happening around our church. Generally, half the time I pinch myself and think, God, I'm surprised you can manage it with me in the way all the time. It's remarkable. God can use you to do remarkable things. And he will do. He will do. Because you're an heir with Christ, you're a child of God. As you live out that core sense of identity, as you know that in your heart, he will do incredible things. Step out in the authority that God gives you. Step into it. Learn to live into it, not to prove it to others, but just to live out the reality of what Christ has done in you. Overflowing it. And then, out of that, of course, we want to be successful. You know, I always think the success word sort of feels a bit funny to us, but actually we do, don't we? You know, if, if you want to put a Christian word instead of the success word, put fruitful, right? <laughs> it's true, we want to be fruitful. I want to see you guys fruitful. I mean, we need you to be fruitful. The whole church, we're longing for you to be fruitful. We long for you to be fruitful with all you've got. Not to prove your identity, not to grow an identity, not to create an identity, but because of your identity. Jesus is remarkably successful, right? He is incredibly fruitful. But he doesn't do that by straining and striving and pushing himself and beating himself. He just lives every day out of the truth that he's a child of God, that he's loved, and that God is well pleased with him before he's done anything. And that will never change, and can never change. We... um, one of the things that the guys in my team will get bored of hearing me say is that our job is faithfulness and actually God's job is fruitfulness. You know, whenever we push ourselves to try and be fruitful, we end up with problems. Our job is to consistently be faithful. It's God's job to be fruitful through us. He's created us. He will be fruitful in all you do. Your job is to faithfully follow the things that God is asking you to do, feeling no pressure to prove yourself. And by the way, I know all of this stuff is just incredibly obvious. But it's also quite tricky to actually live out in our lives. Which is why I wanted to start us off in this whole thing here and say, you know what, 
let's allow God into our hearts to just do a little bit of work in us on it. Because if we're honest, if, as you look at this, there may well be a point where the enemy is prodding you, even today. You know, he may be prodding you on the security thing. He may be worrying about all sorts of stuff. Usually when I find myself worrying about stuff, I start saying, you know what, I feel like I'm, I'm probably here. God's, the enemy is maybe prodding me on this, and God is just bringing it up and saying, you know what, you're not really trusting me. You know, remember, Rich, who you are and who I am and where your security comes from. Not what you can do to try and sort yourself out and fix all the problems to give yourself a sense of security. Or maybe it's the authority piece. Maybe you're stressing about how you're going to get forward in your workplace. Or, or in the church. Maybe you're like, I just, I'm not finding my position. I can't find out what the thing I'm going to do. And it's not all coming together. And I can't quite work out how I'm going to really fly in this place. And they're flying great. And I was talking to someone over dinner. And oh my goodness, they're doing the most incredible stuff. What do I mean? And if that's you, maybe, maybe God just wants to do some work here. And say, you know, you're, you're going to do the most incredible stuff as you just drive into knowing who you are in me. I'll do it. Take the pressure off. Or maybe it's the success thing. It's like, I just want to be fruitful. And you know, when you hear about the, the kind of spiritual disciplines and that kind of stuff, part of you is thinking, right, I'm going to absolutely smack this. I'm going to be top of the class. <laughs> Oh my goodness, no one's going to read the bishop. He's not going to have a thing on me. I'm going to read five songs a day. <laughs> <laughs> you find yourself actually yearning. You just like, I want to do it. But you know, if you're really honest, it's not just an overflow. I just want to be closer to the Father and Him show me more who I am. There's actually something about trying to prove who you are. Prove that you can do it. And so just, what I would love to do is just pray for a moment and then just for the last couple of minutes, I'm going to get you to pray in, in pairs for one another, or twos or threes maybe. Um, but if I just pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come, just allow him to, allow him just to convict your heart really gently as he does. Maybe there's just something, just something he wants to bring up. Or maybe you're super more holy than me and none of this stuff is a challenge for you. But if you're doing that well, then you can definitely pray for me later. Because um, usually some of this stuff is always stirring in me. God's always getting my attention on it. So let's just, let's just invite the Spirit to come and meet with us now. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you God that you, um, you love us so much and so well. We're your children. You love us. And you're well pleased with us even when we're not well pleased with ourselves. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, come now. We give you permission to search our hearts, to challenge our hearts. We just pray you'd show us if there's any way in which actually we're striving for our identity rather than living out of it. Just show us now. Just gently convict us, God. Thanks for listening to the Apprentice Trap podcast. If you want to find out more about what we're doing, follow us on Instagram at The Apprentice Track or visit our website at 
www.youngerleadershipcollege.org.